Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Good morning. <laughs> good morning, good morning, good morning. All right, all right, all right. It's good to be here this morning. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Do have some good news this morning. Almost all abortions have officially become illegal in Arizona. Amen. Yeah, this is what we've been praying for. And I believe that no human being has the right to take another human being's life. Amen. And the womb should be a place where we value and protect life inside the womb as well as outside of the womb. Amen. And so this is something that we can celebrate. And Lord, we just ask for for more, for more states to follow. Yeah, and I want to say congrats to Kyle and Chioma. They had their baby last week, so Kyle and Chioma, if you guys are watching, congrats. We love you guys. Baby girl, little amazing baby girl. I said it was going to be a girl, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but I had a 50-50 shot, so. Okay. The fastest land mammal is a toddler that's been asked, asked, what's in your mouth? (laughs) That is true. I think that's from the book of Proverbs, actually. Or maybe it's first opinions, the book of first opinions. Okay, this one's just silly. I want to get a bumper sticker. (laughs) I want to get a bumper sticker that says, honk if you think I'm sexy. Then I want to sit at a green light until I start feeling better about myself. (laughs) Funny enough, I got that from Bill Johnson. (laughs) A child asked his father where people came from. He responded, God created people, starting with Adam and Eve. The child asked his mother the same question, and she said, we were monkeys and evolved into humans. Confused, the boy went back to his father, and his father responded, No, your mom was just talking about her side of the family. That's bad. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do, do this one. The, t- <laughs> the teacher asked Johnny, If I give you two cats and another two cats and another two, how many would you have? Johnny replies, Seven. No, listen carefully. If I give you two cats and another two cats and another two, How many would you have? Seven, he replied. Okay, let me put this differently, Johnny. If I give you two apples and another two apples and another two, how many would you have? Six, he replies. Good. Now, if you have two cats and another two cats and I give you two more, how many would you have? Seven. Johnny, where in the world do you keep getting seven from? Johnny replies, because I already have a cat. (laughs) Boo. <laughs> That's funny. I reply. <laughs> I, I told that one to Ethan. I started telling that one to Ethan, my son, and he goes, he has seven cats. He goes, he already has a cat. Okay. Okay, I got one more. Don't break anybody's heart. They only have one. 
break their bones, they have 206. <laughs> I, it's good advice, I think. It's like you got plenty of bones, so. All right, Jesus. <laughs> we thank you, Lord. God, we just thank you. You're so good. God, we thank you for your presence that's here. We thank you that you are such a good dad. You are a good father. And we just welcome you to speak to our hearts this morning. We just thank you, Jesus. You're such a great Savior. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your blood that has washed us clean. We thank you that, Jesus, you loved us, each one of us, individually, so much that you died for us. And so we receive all that you paid for us on the cross, Jesus. Lord, if there's things blocking us from receiving from you today, we just pray that they're getting moved out of the way and that we would receive from you today. We just thank you, Jesus. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So years ago, um, I had it on my heart. This was probably five or six years ago. I had it on my heart to just pray Psalm 23 every day. And I, I would read it, and as I was reading it, I would just pray it. And I don't know exactly how long I did it for, but it was close to two years. Like, it was well over a year, and it was close to, I think it was closer to two years that I just read through this, and I would pray it every day. And Psalm 23, it's probably one of the most loved and well-known passages of Scripture. And it's only six verses, but there's so much life in these six verses. There's so much power in these verses. There's so much revelation in these verses. And as I was, I would pray this every day, I felt like one of the reasons I just kept going with it is because I felt like I was continually getting something new from it. Like God was continually unfolding new revelation inside of this. And I just also, I love David. Um, he's somebody that I relate to in the Bible. Um, David, one of the amazing things about him is he had such amazing victories and highs, and he had such devastating lows in his life. But one thing that was consistent is he always ran to God in those moments. In the, big, in the high moments, he gave God credit. In the low moments, he ran to God. And I think it's one of the reasons that the Lord says of David, this is the apple of my eye, not because he was perfect. We know he was, he was actually pretty far from perfect. But it was because he always pursued the Lord. He always followed the Lord through all of the, the highs and all of the really low lows that he had. He praised and he followed God through it all. So I want to go through Psalm 23 today and expound on some things um, that maybe, maybe you've never seen before if you've, and, uh, when you were looking at this or reading this. So the word meditate in the Old Testament, it means to chew on. So from praying through this just for a couple years, I feel like I was just chewing on it and chewing on it and chewing on it. And any passage that you chew on is going to bring you deeper levels of life and deeper levels of understanding. So I just encourage you to just to, just to take words, especially those scriptures that just jump off the page and just chew on them. Just take them and chew on them. And, and, and you know, it, it means to mutter, actually. When it meditates, like I mutter it. I'm chewing on it. I'm like thinking about it. And as we do that, God gives us deeper and deeper and deeper revelation. Scripture is meant to be 
meditated on, chewed on. So let's begin. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So when I would pray this, I would spend a lot of time right here. Lord, you are my shepherd. I would just declare that. Lord, you're the leader of my life. And I would think about who he is, and I would just begin to declare who he is over my life. Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are my provider. You are providing for all of my needs. You are providing for my spiritual needs, my physical needs. You're providing for me in my marriage. You're providing for me love, everything that I need. God, you are Jehovah Rapha. You are my healer. And I would remind myself, if I've been, I was supernaturally healed once. My wife was supernaturally healed once, and both of them were huge testimonies. And I would remind myself of the healing that he's did in my life, physical healing as well as emotional healing. And I would remind myself of other people that I know that have gotten healed from, from prayer or people in our, that we know. And I would just thank him. God, you are the healer. You're my shepherd, and this is who you are. You're Jehovah Rapha. You're my healer. You're Jehovah Nisi, my banner. And your banner over me is love. Your love is over me. It's just raining down on me as my shepherd. Lord, you are Jehovah Shalom. You're my peace. Jesus, you're the prince of peace. God, you've chosen to call yourself peace. And I'm following you. I'm following peace. And I receive your peace today. God, you're Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. Do you know he's called himself our righteousness? God, you are my righteousness. Thank you that I'm not relying on my righteousness, but you are my righteousness. You are Abba Father, which means daddy. It's the most affectionate term in that language for daddy. Romans 8.15 says, You've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Abba. I'm following you and I receive you as Daddy. Thank you that you allow me to call you Daddy. You say, I am Abba. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Daddy. You are El Roy, the God who sees God. Thank you that you see me. God, you see the things I struggle with, and you still love me. You see the areas where I don't get it, and you still love me, and you see me, and you've chosen to love me. It's so important to know God by who he says he is, and not by what our experience has told us, or by what our earthly father has maybe communicated to us, whether we had a good father or, or absent father or anything in between. It's so important to know God by who he says he is. So I'll just meditate. See, we're either going to form beliefs out of our experience that we've had, or we're going to trust that God is who he says he is, even when our experience doesn't match. You know, those are times where I'm like, okay, God, my experience doesn't match your truth. And how many know that we're always the one that needs to be calibrated? <laughs> we're always the one that needs to shift. It's never him. And so when my experience doesn't line up with 
what God says about me, what God says about himself, I know I'm the one that needs to shift. Amen? Lord, you are my shepherd. You're the leader of my life. And I would just remind myself who he is. This is who you are. This is who I'm following. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Other translations say, I lack nothing. I have all that I need. I will not be in need. There is nothing I lack. I always have more than enough. Those are all different translations. When we read the scripture, we can turn it into a declaration. Lord, because you are my shepherd, I will not lack. This is what I would do when I pray it. God, you said I will not lack. God, I will not lack for your love. God, I will not lack for your joy. God, I will not lack to have a great marriage. I will not lack for health and for my family to be healthy. I will not lack for provision. I will not lack for strength. I will not lack for vision. I will not lack for ideas. I will not lack for creativity. And I would just declare, when he says you will not lack, it goes way beyond provision. Sometimes we just want to reduce it to provision. He's saying, you will not lack for any good thing that I have for you. Any good thing. And I would just turn it into a declaration. God, you said I will not lack. Even in the areas where it seems like I was lacking, I said, God, you said I will not lack. Because we're either going to believe, again, our experience, or we're going to hold fast to God's word and say, no, God, you said and I'm believing that my experience is going to change and line, start to line up with what you've said. It's called faith. It's called spiritual maturity. We need to declare this over our marriage. Lack mindset needs to die. So any area where you see lack, you need to declare what God says about that area. That lack mindset has to die in our life. Verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. This was one of my favorite places to park when I used to pray this because I believe this is the place that that's the place that he takes us to encounter him. To encounter his presence the quiet place, the green pastures, the quiet waters. It's where the shepherd takes the sheep to rest, to get rejuvenated. So I would just park there in that place. God, just cause me to lie down in the green pastures. Lead me right now besides those quiet waters. Take me to that place. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. So I would just try to still myself and just like receive his peace. God, I just receive peace at the riverbank where the quiet waters are going. I would just imagine the quiet waters and, and the Lord just with me in this place of peace. One thing that I, I want to do in my life is just practice stillness. I'm a doer. 
So I can go and go and go, and my mind goes a lot, and I'm, I'm like an entrepreneur at heart, so I'm always thinking about, like, oh, ideas, we could do this, or I could do this. And I, I know my son, Rannon, I think he's back in the booth today, he's a lot like me. He's, a, he's like a deep thinker. And he's like, his mind's going a lot. He's just contemplating ideas and, and thinking deeply. And it's funny, I think God reminded me of this, but my two grandfathers, um, my grandfather on my mom's side, he was a southerner from Tennessee. He had a deep southern accent, and he was, like, such a doer. He would, like, even in his 80s, he was like, well, come on now. Let's go. Let's go. We can't sit around all day. I remember him telling me, like, all right, Danny, come on. Take me to Walmart. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> so we'd go to Walmart, and he just didn't let the grass grow under his feet. He was, he was a doer. He was a goer. And my grandpa on my dad's side, my grandpa Willette, he, same thing. He was a total doer. Even into his 90s, he continued to work, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And so he was working. He had his own uh, masonry business, and he was doing it, I think, until he was like 92 or 93. And when he was 93, he wanted to keep going, but he's, he's like, well, people just don't really hire me anymore because they think I'm too old to do the work. And uh, he's like, but I, I love work and I want to keep working. So he started like just working on his property. I remember going over to uh, my grandma, grandpa's house and he was probably about 94, maybe 95 at the time. And we go in and, and see grandma and, she, and we're like, where's grandpa? Oh, he's outside. He's working on his, his trailer in the garage. So we go out. He's underneath his trailer doing work on his trailer. He's like, hey, well, I'm just working on my trailer. I'm fixing it up to sell it. He just like, he was a doer. And I know a lot of you relate to that. We've got a lot of brilliant people in here that are just, they're goers, they're doers. And it's okay to be a doer, but we need to have time in our lives to just be still. I heard John Eldridge, the famous writer, talk about what he calls one minute of silence. And he said something I just started to cultivate in my life where I might have three, four, five times a day where I literally just take 60 seconds and I just get quiet. And he's like, and I don't pray. I just, I just get quiet. I just still myself like. And he says, especially I like to do it when I get home before I go into my house. He says, a lot of times I'll just say, okay, Lord, I give you the stress of the day. I give you the challenges. And then I'll just sit quietly for 60 seconds. And so when I heard him say this, I started to do it. I was like, okay, I'm grabbing that. I'm taking that. And he said, one of the reasons I do that, especially before I go in the, the door to go home, is because I want to be present for my wife when I go in the, walk in the door. I want to be present for my children. I don't want to be thinking about all the things from the day or the stresses or even, like, the things I, I, I'm, you know, excited about. He's like, I want to, like still myself and go in and be present. So I, I was like, okay, I'm taking that. So I, when I get home, that's one of the first things I do. I just sit in the driveway and I just, okay, Lord, I give you the day and just quiet myself. And it's amazing for me, I've noticed how easy it is to hear God's voice when you just quiet your mind. Because for me, my mind can go and go and go and go. But when I just quiet my mind and I'm like, Okay, God, I'm just going to be still, like 60 seconds of just being still. I give you all the junk of the day, and I just be still. And it's so e 
easy to start to hear him talk to us when we can quiet ourselves. We need to learn to cultivate his presence in our lives. And a lot of it is just making ourselves still and listening. Verse 3. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen. I think I missed a part. Oh, I did. Yeah, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's just take he restores our soul. I need God to restore my soul every single day. What is your soul? It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Every day, so when I'd pray this prayer, I'd be I'd like, Lord... I need a brand new mind. I just lay aside the, stra the stress, the strain of, of the previous day, and I just need a brand new mind. I need the mind of Christ today. Lord, I just give you my heart emotions. I need you to restore my soul right now, my, my mind, my emotions. I just give you the hard things, the hard thoughts, the hard emotions, the things I'm concerned about, the things I'm stressed about. I just give it to you, and I'm asking you to restore my soul. One of the verses I love is Psalm 51.10, where David said, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And I don't think, like, we know, obviously, there's, there's an element that's, that this is uh, an Old Testament prayer that when he said, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Like, we know, like, the blood of Jesus has washed us clean, that we're perfectly, completely clean. But I don't even think that's what David was talking about. I think he was like, Lord, recalibrate me. This is like, I, I'm not thinking right. I, I'm, not, I'm not like moving in the direction that I want to be moving in. I, I need you to create in me a new heart, a clean heart. This is, he actually said this right after Bathsheba. He, he went to the Lord after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, and he said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. God, I got off, I got off track, and, and I, I want to come back into this place of just being renewed and thinking like you and having a clean heart. Part of our relationship with Jesus is just asking for him to renew us. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Just coming to him and saying, I need the rest, God. I need you to renew my emotions, my mind, my strength. I need rest. He wants to give you rest. Rest and restoration. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Lord, lead me in your path of righteousness. Guide my steps today. Psalm 37, 23 says this, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Okay, so that he delights in his way, that's he, capital H, God, 
delights in small h, his way. Do you know what that's saying? God delights in your way. That might challenge some unworthiness inside of us. God delights in your way. When I look at my, I could say this about any of my kids, but I'll just use my two-year-old. When I look at him and how he plays and how he eats and how he gets in trouble and all of it, I delight in all of it. (laughs) Even when he's not doing the right thing, it's like, oh, I just delight in this little human being because that's my boy. We are God's children. He delights in us. He takes delight in us even when we're off. He doesn't maybe like the thing that we're doing, but he's like, oh, I love you. I love your quirkiness. Do you know that he loves your quirky sense of humor? Do you know that he's laughing with you and you're laughing at random things? And you can invite him into that moment. He loves everything about you. He delights in your way. You're his kid. One translation says, the Lord delights in every detail of their lives. The Lord delights in you. Verse 4, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I I don't remember who this is, so if you guys know who this is, tell me, because I was trying to find him, and I couldn't find him. I heard this story years ago, and I I can't remember who it was now. But there was a man who had a terminal disease. I believe it was cancer, and he was sent home to die with weeks to live. And he felt on his heart to just read and declare Psalm 23 every day. Well, long story short, he was completely healed, and he attributes it to reading Psalm 23 and declaring it over his life. And he wrote a whole book about, his book was about the power of Psalm 23. He's like, save my life. And this is what God showed me from declaring the scripture over my life. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There's a place in God where fear isn't an issue anymore. There's a place in God where fear has no role in our life, no hold on us any longer. If you struggle with fear a lot, that might seem impossible. And I remember being there because I used to struggle. Fear used to dominate my life. A lot of you know the story of I used to be terrified to do what I'm doing right now. The thought, just the thought of doing what I'm doing right now would make me nauseous. Like the thought of speaking in front of this many people made me sick to my stomach. And it was because fear had like a grip on me. It had a grip on my life. And once God dealt with that fear, everything changed. And there's a place in God where fear really has nothing in your life anymore. I want to tell you this story. There's, there's probably some of you who know this lady. How many remember Pat Turner? Yeah, there's, there's a few. It's like maybe a handful. She was uh, a lady that we knew, and she was in her 60s. And she was diagnosed uh, with terminal cancer, and she was given weeks. It was one of those things where it's like, 
you got weeks to live. And so Joy and I had, this was probably five or six years ago, Joy and I had it on our heart to go and pray for her. And so we reached out and we're like, hey, can we just come and pray? And so we go to go over to see her at her apartment. And we've been in situations like this where you go to pray for someone who has like maybe weeks to live and you can feel like the spirit of death when you walk in the room. You can feel like the spirit of death has just grabbed this person or like hopelessness or just deep like sadness or deep fear. A lot of times it's fear. You feel the fear. And so we didn't know what to expect when we were going to see this lady. And we go and we go to go in her apartment and she opens the door and she's like radiant and she's like glowing and she's like, hi, I'm so glad you guys came. Come on in. Oh my goodness. How are you guys doing? And we go in her house and it's like the peace of God is in her house, like powerfully. And it was like, whoa, this is not what I expected. And she was like happy, like joy. Like, there was joy, and she, she had, like, three weeks, like, that, at that point. They're like, you have about three weeks to live. And she was just overwhelmed with joy, and she was, like, ministering to us. We thought we were going to minister to her. And she's just like, how are you guys doing? And this is what I did this summer, and, and how, what have you guys been up to? And, like, showing us things in her apartment, and it was like, wow. There was zero fear there. It's like fear had no hold on this woman. There was none. And she's like, you know what? I'd like to be healed. I have grandkids. I want to be there for them. But if Jesus wants to take me home, I'm okay with that. (laughs) And she meant it. And there was zero fear there. And she she actually died three weeks later. And you would not have known that she was even sick because she had this radiant joy. I mean, she like had her, her eyes were bright. She was full of life. She was vibrant. And fear had absolutely no hold on her. The Lord spoke to me once and said, Daniel, you don't ever need to fear anything ever again. And that didn't seem real to me when he spoke it to me. Because that did not line up with my experience. I was still in a place where fear had a grip on me. And it was dominating my life in a lot of areas. And he said, Daniel, there's a place in me where you'll never have to experience fear again. Fear is a spirit, and it's a tormentor. I think it's one of the worst tormenting spirits. I would probably say that, yeah, every demonic spirit is our tormentors. But I think fear is especially nasty. It's like a deep tormentor. And I know from experience. So here's the thing is, fear is a spirit, but you have authority over it. Second Timothy 1 says, 1, 7 says, For God has not given you a spirit of fear. So if you don't think that fear is a spirit, that's what Paul actually called it a spirit. God's not giving you a f- spirit of fear but of love, power, and a sound mind. And Jesus told us in Luke 10, 19, he said, Behold, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Somebody say all. All the power of the enemy, including fear. 
So if you, if you encounter fear a lot, you need to begin to take authority over fear. I remember Tia, her little girl, who's now all grown up and married. She used to have nightmares, and she would come in. This is, she was probably six or seven, and she would run into our room, and she'd be, like, terrified, like, afraid. And we would pray over her, and we would rebuke fear, and she would get peace, and then we would take her back to her bed. And we should do that, absolutely, with our kids. We should be that protector for them and, and minister to them in that way. But we started to encourage her, like, hey, you have authority over this thing. And we started to teach her, like, hey, what we're doing right now and how we're taking authority over this, that's just because Jesus has given us authority, but he's given you the exact same authority. And so one morning she came downstairs in the morning, and I think she's probably about seven years old at the time. And she goes, hey, Mom and Dad. Um, she goes, fear came in my room last night. And she goes, and I, I sat up in my bed, <laughs> and I told it to go. I said, you have to go in Jesus' name. And she said, and it went, and I went back to sleep. She said, and she never came to us again after that. That was the last time she came to us and said, I'm afraid. Because she had learned something. She gained something about how to take authority over the spirit of fear. Are you guys okay this morning? <laughs> Jesus. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That was Pat our friend Pat, that we went to visit. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many know that the rod isn't used by the shepherd to beat the sheep? That's not what the rod is for. The rod is used as a weapon against predators. The staff is to guide the sheep. The rod is a weapon against predators. That's why David said, your rod and your staff, they're a comfort to me. Because I'm looking at that rod, and I'm like, wow, that's the, that's the beating stick for the wolf. I get comfort out of seeing that. David knew what it meant to be a shepherd, and he knew what it meant to protect the sheep. Here, Listen to this. This is how this reads in the Amplified Bible. Your rod to protect... And your staff to guide, they comfort and console me. The last thing I want to say in this verse is going back to even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, oh, fear no evil for you are with me. No one wants to go through trials. No one wants to go through them. None of us are like, God, sign me up for trials. Sign me up for heartache and pain. No, none of us want that. But there are measures and manifestations of his presence that you can only find in the valley of the shadow of death. In 2015, I went through one of the worst seasons of my life, probably the worst season of my adult life. And in that season is where I encountered God as Father. I already knew Jesus, I knew Jesus as my Savior. But I didn't realize that I didn't really know God as Father. And I went through this amazingly difficult season for me. And 
God started to reveal himself to me. I started having encounters with God the Father, like crazy encounters. And it lasted for like a month where it's like every day was an encounter with, with God the Father. And I gained through that tough season, I gained a, a deep knowing of God as daddy, as father, that I wouldn't trade for anything. Because there's levels of God and measures of him that you can only find in the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. Verse 5. I like this one. I like all of them, really. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. All right, we're going to do audience participation. Let me read this again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Who prepares the table? God. God prepared the table. Where does he place it? In the presence of our enemies. Wow, God, we think differently. That's not where I would have placed that. If I were to ask you to go to lunch with me today, and, and some of you might say, sure, let's, let's, let's do that. What if I say, hey, let's go have lunch, but let's do it in front of our enemies. In the presence of our enemies. Let's do this. I think a lot of you would be like, ah, you lost me on that one. Um, hey, hey, God, I really appreciate you inviting me to lunch and all. But, uh, I don't know, just a thought. Can you think we could eat lunch away from our enemies? Just, I don't know. Just checking in. Maybe. Just a thought. God thinks differently than us. That's not the place that we would choose. Amen? What is the table? The table is a place of nourishment, interaction, fellowship, and family. The passage doesn't say, you prepare a table before me and you obliterate all my enemies. Ha ha. <laughs> I like that one better, I think. No, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What if, what if God has prepared the table of blessing, nourishment, and fellowship with him right in front of our enemies because it's an invitation to them for something more? What if? You see, when we have the heart of God, we stop seeing an enemy and we start to see someone who is lost and that the Father is doing everything that he can do to redeem them to himself. Maybe that's why he puts us in this place of interaction with him, of blessing with him right in the midst of our enemies so they can watch and be like, wow, that's, I don't have that. 
that's different. That's a different kind of blessing. I've never experienced that. Maybe it's this invitation to them. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. How many know that God wants to bless you so much that you begin to overflow? Do you want to know what God's plan for your life is? Overflow. It might look different for each person, but that's God's plan for your life. Overflow. Now, when you overflow... That means there's going to be some spillage. That means something's getting spilled on somewhere. So he wants you to overflow, and it's actually going to be so much that it spills on the people around you, maybe even your enemy. And they get a taste of, oh, wow. Is that what God's like? Overflow. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that. God's goodness and mercy are following you. They're attracted to you. God's goodness and mercy is attracted to you. It's following you. We're we're not chasing it. It's following us. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heaven is your destination. I preached a message a few weeks ago called Heaven is Our Home, that, that we need to have this perspective in our minds and in our heart that's like, this isn't home. I don't want to build my my fort too solid here because I have a different home. My, my little boys, they love like, their favorite thing right now. My five-year-old, my two-year-old is to build forts. And they're like, tear apart the couch cushions and get all the blankets. And it's like, it's all really fun, but it's, it's very temporary. So we don't want to build too deep of a fort here because our hearts, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our, tr- our heart needs to be in our home, our true home in heaven. I believe that was that lady, Pat Turner. It's like, her treasure was in heaven, and she was totally at peace with going, leaving this earth and going to home. Okay, last thing. This whole passage begins with, the Lord is my shepherd. And this is where I, I want to land the plane today. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? You know, this, this was a, an easier message for me to preach just because I've spent so much time in this passage. But I got surprised as I was preparing this message this week. I feel like I got yet another level of, like, 
revelation from this passage. And God started to talk to me about something. And this is what I feel like the question that God was asking me. Are there, are there areas in your life where you haven't made me Lord? I'm talking about lordship. I'm not talking about salvation. We know the Bible says we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we confess with our mouth and we're saved. So this is, I'm not talking about salvation. If you've done that, you're saved and the Lord is your shepherd. But are there areas in your life where you haven't made him Lord? Where maybe it's been too scary to, to say, God, be the Lord of, of this area of my life. And the Lord started speaking to me about this, and I, I felt like he said, I want to be the Lord of every area of your life. And I didn't see it, but there, there's, there was an area where I feel like I've been relying on my own wisdom and what I think is right. And I felt the conviction of, oh, Lord, I want you to be the, the Lord. I want you to be the Lord of this area of my life. I want you to have lordship in this area of my life. I have been relying on what, what I think is right, what I know, and I need you to be the Lord of my life in this area. And I had to repent, and I said, okay, Lord, I see it now. I've been resisting you being Lord in this area. Forgive me, and please come and be the Lord of my life in this, this area. So I want to ask you with heads bowed, eyes closed, is there an area of your life that you haven't made him Lord over? And I want to ask you, some of you, as I'm even just talking about this, the Lord's already showed you something. And, but I want to just give you a moment. As Holy Spirit, we just pray that you'd speak to us. Just to ask him, just ask him in your heart, Lord, is there any area of my life that I haven't made you Lord over? And I want to just ask you, this is for you, it's not really for me. But there's, there's something that happens when we come into a place of humility and acknowledge something to another human being and say, yeah, yep, yeah, there's an area that God showed me. And so this is, this is really for you, but I just want you to acknowledge that. If God showed you something, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You can put it down. And again, that wasn't really, it's not for me. That's for you. You just acknowledged it before a, a human being. And I believe humility is one of the great catalysts for breakthrough. Hmm. Lord, help us. Help us to make you Lord of every area of our life so we can see you shepherding every area. And Lord, I just repent for an area of my life where I've resisted your lordship and I didn't even realize it. But I was relying on my own. I became my own Lord in that area of my life. God, I need you to be Lord of that area of my life. And whatever God gave you, 
I just want to encourage you to just say, Lord, you be the Lord of this area of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.